Hey, thanks for tuning in to the Fountain Church Podcast. Our prayer is that God speaks to you in a real and powerful way. So go ahead, grab your Bible, grab a notepad and your coffee, and let's dive in. And, uh, and we're embarking on a new series entitled Learning from Legends. Now, sometimes when we think about legends, we think about stories or fables or um, imaginary people from the past, like an ancient legend or something that's fake or not real. But then you have real legends that we look back on. So for instance, like a Michael Jordan, right? Like Michael Jordan to me, that dude's going to be a legend. You know, he, he may be a living legend right now of our time. I don't know how you would define that or not, but, but, uh, but I was talking with Phil. Phil plays drums for us. He's on our worship team. And we were talking before service and it's amazing how every generation thinks that one person is a legend over another. So the, the debate right now, Mike, is it Michael Jordan? Is it, is it Kobe Bryant? Is it LeBron James, right? So, so, someone, someone say Steph Curry, right? Jordan's my guy. I just grew up with Jordan. But, but you see some distinct things. Jordan just kind of played a raw game. Kobe played his game. Uh, LeBron James, well not, he, he just jumps from teams to trying to win championships. I was just things like that. You know, I just, uh, just kidding, just kidding, just kidding. No shade, LeBron, if you're watching online. No shade. We love you. But, but I, I want to speak to you around this idea of you were made for this. You were made for this. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you that, Lord, we once again are gathered to hear from heaven. Pray that my voice would simply point them to your voice. God, that you would speak clearly to us. Holy Spirit, will you illuminate the scriptures to us? For your word is alive and it's active, sharper than a two-edged sword. Lord, you're able to weigh our motives. You're able to get to the very depths and the core of our being today. And I pray that, Holy Spirit, you would change us, that you would make us more and more into the image of Jesus as we behold the beauty and the majesty of you today, Lord. Open up our hearts. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see. In Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. 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 Well, I want to bring you back to, to 1986. And in 1986 there was a rocket that was getting ready to be launched by NASA. Many of you guys might remember. Uh, it was called the Challenger. The Challenger. Now, now the Challenger is it's, it's an interesting rocket because it had been delayed on several occasions and NASA was really anxious to get it up in the air. But on, on the journey, they woke up in the morning on the day of launch and it was 57 degrees. It was really cold. And so one of the designers of the Challenger, his name was Alan McDonald, he said, I don't think it's a great time to launch. We shouldn't launch today because I'm not confident that the O-rings on the rocket are going to be able to sustain as this thing blasts off in the midst of this cold weather. I don't think they're going to hold. But NASA, they did, not, they did not want to delay it anymore. It had already been delayed on several occasions. And so... They proceeded to move forward. They kept pushing back, and Alan was letting them know over and over and over, please don't do this. Lives are on the line. Like, this is serious. Don't do this. I know how this rocket is made. Don't do it. Well, they decided to override him. He didn't sign off on it, but his boss did, and then the world watched 72 seconds as this thing launched and burst into flames. When they brought the diagnostic, when they got the diagnostic back, it was just as Alan had said, the O-rings couldn't sustain and the ship exploded or burst into flames. So, so the people were asking the question, why was NASA so persistent in trying to get this thing off the ground? And, and why weren't they listening to the designer? And what they said was they had so much success over the quarter century. I mean, they, they were troubleshooting things in space and succeeding with things like the Apollo 13 and, and other, other endeavors that they had. And so they were very confident, so confident that their voice started to drown out the designer's voice. And they launched, costing many people their lives. Uh, a school teacher was on that rocket, cost a lot of money. And of course, this rocket was destroyed. And so, so when you think about that reality, when you think about what was on the line, it can be a scary thing when our voice becomes louder than the designer's voice. And that drops us right into the heart of the book of Judges, Judges chapter 17, verse 6. It says, in those days, there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right 
in his own eyes. You know, Solomon let us know that there's nothing new under the sun. So what we're experiencing in, in our world, in our culture today, it's just repackaged. We, we've, there, there's nothing new. It's just, this is where we are today. And it's a lot of old strongholds and demonic stuff. And that's just repackaged in a different way. So here in the book of Judges, I mean, you could say everybody did what was right in his own eyes. That is kind of the culture of today. We would just call it relativism, where your truth is your truth and my truth is my truth. And so you do your truth, I'm going to do my truth, but there's no such thing as absolute truth. <laughs> but that's an absolute statement. So even if, if there's no such thing as absolute truth, then that statement's not true and it cancels itself out. Doesn't make much sense, does it? But that, that's kind of the, the culture that we live in. Do you, whatever is your truth, embrace it, go for it, etc. cetera. But, but, but that leads to a very dangerous place. And, and today, you know, there's, there's, there's a difference between objective and subjective truth. And it's important that we understand the difference. Uh, objective truth is, is something like this table is really here. Like we can debate about it all day long. You could choose not to believe it's here, but it's here objectively. And then there's subjective truth. So that would be, you know, things like I like cookie dough, you like chocolate. I don't like chocolate, you don't like cookie dough. Preference, subjective truth, fair game. But here in the book of Judges, here we are that everybody was doing what was right in their own eyes. And so, so how do we get to this place? Well, God raised up Moses to set the people of Israel free out of slavery from Egypt. Moses then passes the baton to Joshua. Joshua leads the people of God into the promised land. With an, an inc- it was just an incredible season. I mean, Joshua was a man who loved the presence of God. Their ear was in tune with what God was doing, with what God was saying. They, you know, they had, you know, some struggles and they faced some difficulty, but there was just this victory after victory after victory. But then after Joshua, there's not a clear point person that we see the Bible points to that Joshua handed the baton to. And so, so only a, a generation later, it says in Judges that they did not know the Lord, nor did they remember the things that he had done. And so it was only one generation away. And so what resulted in that is they began to grow distant from God. Their voice started to become louder than God's voice. And it led to this reality that everybody did what was right in his own eyes. And this is so, so dangerous. But let me tell you, it doesn't just happen in the world. It's not just happening in the world today where everybody's just doing what's right in their own eyes. Can I just like press a little bit that this can even happen in the church? where our voice becomes louder than God's voice. And in that place, there's great trouble. In that place, it never works out well. If you're taking notes, you can jot this down because whenever our voice becomes louder than God's voice, it creates an environment for the enemy's voice. And so then we, we, have, we start having some trouble hearing or we start to have selective hearing. You know, uh, you hear people say all the time, I love this part of the Bible, but I don't like this part. So let's just take that out. I remember in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, Stephen is preaching the gospel to the, the religious Pharisees. And because they did not want to hear the truth or the reality of what he was proclaiming, they covered their ears like a little kid, just blah, 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 blah. We just, we don't want to hear that. And so we have to be careful that um, we're, we're in tune with uh, what God is saying and that our voice is not becoming louder than his voice. The created voice, our, we are created beings, was never meant to be louder than the creator's voice. Are you tracking with me on that? But, but it can happen. There was a, a guy who was 92 years old and he went to the doctors because he was having some physical trouble and the doctor gave him some advice and he said, doc, I'm going to take your counsel. I, I'd like, I'm going to do this to a T. So the doctor was out one day and he saw this older gentleman at like a shopping mall, he had loads of bags with him. Looks like he'd been shopping all day. And there was a, a, a young woman that, that he was with and he thought maybe it was his daughter, but then they were kind of cuddling. So he's like, what's going on here? And so, so he, he pulls up on the old, older man and he says, hey, sir, what are you doing out here? And, and the guy said, doc, I, I'm just taking your advice. The doctor was like, what advice is that? He, he said, Doc, you told me to find a hot mama and be cheerful. And the doctor was like, no, I said you had a heart murmur. Be careful, right? And so sometimes we just want to hear what we want to hear. God is speaking, but are we listening? 
And so we're going to take a look at Samson's life, just a glance over the life of Samson for a moment today. You know, Paul says in Romans chapter 15 that the things that were written in the past and the encouragement endurance that we see in the scripture, they were written for our example that we might find hope. And so I'm hoping that as we look over the next several weeks, over these, uh, a few different men and women of God, that, that, that God would, would do something in us, that we would look at their endurance, that we would look at the encouragement that we find in the scriptures, and that it would, it would give us hope that God wants to do something in us, and that the same God that they were following then is the same God that we're following now, that Jesus is still the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so, so I'm, I'm hoping, I, I want you to lean in. Because there's something special about, about looking back. Because there's one thing to look back on fake legends. There's another thing to look back on people that really lived and walked with God. And Samson was one of those guys. He was set apart as a judge. Now, why the judges? So everybody was doing what they saw fit in their own eyes. There wasn't a clear point person that Joshua passed the baton to. So what would happen is this. Everybody would do what was right in their own eyes until they got in trouble. Then all of a sudden they wanted God's voice again. Anybody been there? Kind of do my own thing, but the moment I'm in trouble, it's like, God, I'm sorry. Don't want to do this again. Help me. So what God would do is he would hear their voice and he would raise up a judge. And a judge was simply there to to really be an instrument where their voice would simply point people back to God's voice and bring some hope, some healing, some reconciliation, salvation, whatever was happening in the time. And so, and then the, the people of Israel, like ourselves, there was this perpetual cycle of being rescued and they fall away and they'd be rescued and they kind of fall away. They'd like, God, we want to hear your voice. Now I don't want to hear your voice. And there was just this constant back and forth for them. Well, Samson was raised up as a judge. He was set apart to be an instrument of God in the land. Well, Samson started to fall prey to the same deal where God had gifted him immensely. And so Samson started to get really confident in some of his gifts. Like he was strong, he was intelligent, he was powerful. He walked and lived with wisdom, all while forgetting this was God's hand on his life. But isn't that what pride does? Pride blinds us and it deafens us. And and that's what happened to Samson. He, He went from this place of being set apart to this place of pride, he went from a place of, of, of where he should have been thankful, but instead he got prideful. And so what pride does is it sets ourselves, like we set ourselves above others and even above God. And the enemy loves this, right? When our voice becomes louder than God's voice, it creates an environment for the enemy's voice. And the enemy comes in and he amens us all the way. You are amazing. Amen. You, look at you. Man, your voice needs to be louder. Like, come on, you, look how awesome you are. And so Samson's pride led to so many detriments. This guy suffered a lot as a result of his pride because his voice became greater than God's voice, created an environment for the enemy's voice. And he suffered a lot as a result of that. And there's one thing in Samson's life that we talk about, when you hear Samson talked about, a lot of times pride is is probably going to come up in the conversation, lust, different things. But there's one area that I think could have really helped him that's not talked about a lot. Like if this area was a reality in Samson's life, I think it could have spared him a lot of trouble, a lot of unnecessary suffering, spiritually, emotionally, physically. It could have been a great source of encouragement. It could have spared him from some foolish decisions. But, but uh, this part was choked out as a result of his pride. So Samson digressed to pride, and pride led him to the realm of isolation. He just didn't have a lot of people around him. In fact, uh, this passage found in Judges chapter 14 says, His father went to visit the women, and Samson prepared a feast there, as young men were accustomed to do. When the Philistines saw him, they brought 30 men to accompany him. Samson's about to get married. Come on, shout out to Samson. He's about to get married. It's exciting days, right? If you're about to get married, lean into this. Uh, But I think what was really sad is he didn't have any groomsmen. They they had to go find some guys to keep him company. 
that's, that's heartbreaking. I'm not a rocket scientist, nor am I the sharpest tool in the shed. But I've done several weddings, and I've watched people travel from different countries to be alongside of the person they love on that special day. I mean, people just go out of their way to come and rally to somebody's side on that special wedding day. But Samson didn't have any of that. Literally, he needed people to go get him some company because every meaningful relationship in Samson's life was strained. His parents tried to talk some sense into him. He just distanced himself. Three relationships with different women, all broken down by lust, selfishness, and pride. So, so he just lacked meaningful relationships. And the sad part was it didn't have to be like that. Like, there were so many opportunities. But can I just tell you, meaningful relationships have to be invited. And a lot of times our pride, like Samson, we can judge him, no pun intended, all that we want. But the reality is, is that pride, like Samson, will keep us also in a place of isolation where we'll have some company, but we won't have what you and I were made for. If you're taking notes, you can jot this down, is that you and I were made for community. You and I were made for community. This is how God made us. This is how God designed us. Can I just tell you, company doesn't mean community. You can have a lot of people around you, but no meaningful relationships. And I'm not just talking about any type of community. I'm talking about Christ-centered community, biblical community. So, So when we look at Genesis, amazing passage. Now, if you're a Christian, you think you know where I'm going, but you don't. Uh, The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. So get this picture. God is creating all things. He's created the animals. He's like, so good. He created vegetation. Amazing. So whenever you hear me say it's all good, that's a biblical term. It's all good. Like God looked at everything. He's like, it's all good. It's all good. Except this one thing is that when he created Adam and he noticed that he was alone, he said, this, this one, this part is not good. So I'm going to create a helper suitable. But it kind of raises the question. And we, we see some of the obvious things. Like obviously animals weren't enough. Because I have a dog now. But can I just tell you, I, man, we're, we're bonding a little bit. It's been a few weeks. Sometimes, some days I want to get rid of him. <laughs> but then we're driving to church and he puts his little face on the, on the, the center console, looks at me. I'm like, but I guess we're in this together, <laughs> right? But he's not enough. He's not enough. Now, now, the other question is, is this. Are you guys ready for this one? Isn't God enough? Like, God, why, why would you need to create something else? Aren't you enough? I hear this all the time, and a lot of times it comes from a great place. So if this is you, I'm not judging you, but, but I want you to lean into this. I hear people say this all the time. I don't need to come to church to have a relationship with God. Facts, you don't. True. But, but here, here's the deal. Is God enough? And the answer is yes. Is yes, God is enough. But if you and I are abiding in him, we are going to live in the way that he designed us, which is for community. Are you guys tracking with that? So the answer is yes, he is enough. But if if he is our everything, we will live out how we were designed and you and I were made for community. It's the way that God made us. People would ask, well, is Jesus fully God and fully man? Yes, there's a fullness of meaning to who he was. And so God is enough, but, and you and I were created in the image of God. We are bears of, of God's image. And I want, you to, I want you to get this picture. Right in the beginning of Genesis, we see this beautiful picture of community. In the beginning, all right, God created the heavens and the earth. And what did he say? He said, let us make man in our image. We see the first picture of the Trinity, the, the eternal Godhead, the triune Godhead, God in three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. Listen, I'm going to tell you, God is not schizophrenic. It works. God in three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. A little bit hard to wrap your mind around, and it's a different sermon for another day. But but I want you to see the beautiful picture of community here. I want want you to see this beautiful picture. C.S. Lewis describes it like this. He said, the, the, the Trinity is like a beautiful dance. 
He said that the father is pointing to the son and the son is pointing to the father and the father's pointing to the spirit and the spirit's pointing back to the father. The son's pointing to the spirit and the spirit. And it's just this beautiful picture of the eternal Godhead. And you and I are created in the image of God. You and I were made for community. Now, the reason why I said you probably got where I was going with that point, but this is where you, you, you might've overread something or you, you just breezed through something that you should have taken a little bit more time on. Because the translation of helper is not really a good translation. Come on, ladies. Like, have you read this passage and you're like, oh, a helper. Okay. Let's move on to the next verse, right? So that's what I am, God. But, but when you get to the original translation of this in the Hebrew, the word helper, it, it's this word easer. You ready for this? It means to rescue. It means to strengthen. Come on. And all the husbands said, amen. It means to rescue. It means to strengthen. In fact, God used this term in regards to himself all throughout the Old Testament. It, it has this notion of, if it wasn't for the military reinforcements, we wouldn't have won the battle. Meaning God was saying, listen, um, I refer to myself, I am a rescuer, I am one that strengthens. And I thought how interesting is that how does God rescue and strengthen many times in the scripture? Sometimes it's just supernaturally, but many times it's through people. God raises up a Moses to be an instrument of setting his people free. He raises up a Joshua. He raises up a Samson as an instrument to move people closer to him and back closer to one another. Are you guys tracking with me? So, so the word helper, the word easier is not a lesser term. In fact, God was saying, no, Adam was lacking something. No, no, I've, I've called Eve to be a strengthener, a, a rescuer, to provide what he's not able to provide on his own. And can I just tell you that that would work vice versa for Eve. You know, a, a biblical covenant, when people would come into a covenant with one another, they would enter into a biblical covenant out of weakness or need. Meaning this, if I had great military strength, but no money, I would go into covenant with somebody that had money. And in turn, I would share my strength and they would share their provision. And so, so it wasn't just going to be like Eve was going to be the only easer. No, Adam would also be that to her as well. Are you guys seeing? So we're not talking about which one is more valuable. We're, no, we're just, we're talking about they're, they're equal in value with two different roles. And so we, we don't, we don't want to get that, uh, we don't want to get that twisted. God has an order of things, but sometimes we just fail to realize the significance of what God is saying. It wasn't just a helper. No, it was a rescuer, a strengthener, one that was coming to, 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 to reinforce, one that was coming to, to get his back, and that Adam would do the same for her. Can I just tell you, you will never live your best or experience God's best apart from Christ-centered community. You just won't. And so, so, so he says, I got to get a helper, but then he says a helper suitable. Huh. Well, what does that mean? Interesting. It's the word connecto in the Hebrew. Connecto. And you know what connecto means? It means to stand in opposite, to stand in opposition, to face off, meaning it's somebody that asks you the tough questions. Oh, so easier, easier. Eve wasn't just sent there to, to be an easier, to rescue and to strengthen, but also to be like, time out, bro. Hold on. I don't think you're thinking so clearly here. It'd be like this if a young lady came to me after service and said, Matt, I found this guy. He says he loves God. We're getting married tomorrow. Connecto. <laughs> Let me oppose you to your face and let's press pause for a minute. And so, so we, see this, we see this beautiful picture. Now, many of us lean towards one or the other. Some of us, we, we're easers. Like we just love to rescue and strengthen. But when it comes to telling people the truth, even when they need it, we have a hard time with that. We don't like confrontation. And then some of you guys, you're, you're on the more side of the connecto. You have a little bit hard time rescuing and strengthening. And you're more so like, hey, I told you three times. <laughs> Figure it out. Matter of fact, let me tell you where you went wrong. A, B, C, and D. 
by the way, you need to change this on the journey. Connecto, right? And so, so, so we see this beautiful picture of, of Ezer and Connecto. Now, for me as your pastor, I'm an Ezer learned Connecto. Like, like I, I love, I'm a pastor. My, my heart is to rescue. My heart is to care for people. I want to strengthen people. But I know that if I'm going to be a great husband and a great dad and a great pastor and lead a healthy life, be a great friend, be a great leader, I need to be both Ezer and Connecto. I'm going to have to have tough conversations. I'm going to have to make tough calls. And, and I've learned that because I don't like to do that. Like, I want you to feel great. But sometimes that's not what you need. I want to rescue. I want to strengthen. But sometimes I need to confront you with grace and truth. And this just isn't in a marriage context. This is in every relationship we need easers and connectors. So my question to you today is this. Do you have any in your life? Do you have any easers or connectos in your life? Or, or do you have all easers? Some of us, we just love the easers. I'll just strength, just rescue me. Come on, just strengthen me all the time. Encourage me. Yeah, right. But then, then you, you, you don't have any connectos. So a lot of times that, that's, it, it's, it's really unhealthy because they're encouraging you when they should be like opposing you. Whether you're not thinking right or maybe, maybe you're thinking too small. And you need a connector to say, well, you're not thinking big enough. And so, and then some of us, we just have connectos in our life. And connectos, listen, there's no better or we need both, right? They're both of equal value. Even body, both of these things. And so what do we need? We need, we, we, some of us only have connectos. Now, if you only have connectos, you may walk around a little discouraged, right? Like, gosh, I'm just getting like beat up everywhere. I know what's wrong with me. Can you encourage me a little bit? And so, so we, we need both of these things. If we don't have both of these in our life, it's, we're gonna, it, it, there's not going to be a healthy picture. Are you tracking with me? It's going to be painted on one side. And so, so, so the, the one that you lean toward, I want to encourage you to invite somebody that's opposite of that. Like, like get in the habit of finding connectos if you only have easers around you. Like you need some people around you. I have, I have a lot of connectos around me. I do. One, one, of, one, of, my, one of my good friends, um, uh, I have a lot of good friends, but I have a, I have a few connectos that really just kind of punch me in the face once in a while. And, and the beautiful thing about that is a lot of times it's not negative, but it's like I told you, there was an incident not too long ago and, and he told me, he said, you know, I, I, don't, I don't think you're, think, I hear fear, I don't hear faith. You need those people in your life. If he's like, oh, yeah, sounds great. Just keep, oh, you're doing a great job. He's like, no, 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 that's fear. That's not faith. You need to rethink that. You need to go process that with Jesus. I'm going to check up with you. I'm going to check up with you next week. And so we need people around us that, that just won't say yes all the time. People in the business world, they call it yes men. You just don't need yes men or women around you. You need people that, that love you enough to connect to you. Yeah. When, when it's necessary. And so I want, I want you to practice on the other end, inviting the opposite. If you're all connecto, man, let some easers in. Like you, you need some encouragement. And then for you, if you tend to lean toward one or another, get used to, if you're always just connecto, man, start to practice being an easer a little bit. Like try to encourage somebody when you really want to like tell them where they went wrong. Start with encouragement and then tell them, right? So, 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 so what I'm saying is this, I'm saying that we need these in our lives. We need Christ-centered community in our lives. We need both easers and connectos because God said it's not good that you're alone. And when our voice becomes louder than his voice, we open up the door for the enemy's voice and then we miss out. Then we miss out. Solomon said it this way in Ecclesiastes chapter four. He says, two are better than one because they have a good return on their labor. If either of them falls down, the one can help the other up, but pity anyone who falls down and has nobody to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. And so Solomon gives us just four keys that I want, to, I want you to process and pray about. And I want you to ask the Lord, man, is one of these keeping me from pursuing Christ-centered community? And I want you to ponder and I want you to ask yourself, is there any area of my life where I'm really living in isolation when God is encouraging me and challenging me to let some people in. 
And the first thing that we see from Solomon is this, is that you get a better return when you're together with others. Remember, we're talking Christ-centered relationships. See, just company might say something like this. Hey, you're going through a bad time. Let's go get a drink and just hang out. That's company. The Christ-centered relationship looks a little bit different than that. Yeah. Right? Christ-centered relationship, gonna, gonna, they're going to help you on a different level. They're going to point you back to God's voice so that we can snuff out the enemy's voice. And so, so I don't know about you, but moving is not, I don't like to move, especially the older I get. Moving is not fun. Like you're moving your house, right? Getting a U-Haul and, and going for it. I remember when we first moved to Pleasanton, uh, we moved to a house that was, it was really in, like in bad shape. The, the windows wouldn't open because they were sealed shut with the paint. It was an older home, like built in the 40s. Uh, but we loved it. It, w- it was great. But as an easer, learn Connecto, I don't want to mess up anybody's Saturday. Like, hey, can you help me move? <laughs> right? Um, I know they had a long week. I, I don't want to bother anybody. Any, do I, anybody like that? Yeah. You just kind of will do everything on your own and just kind of take it by the horns, punish yourself and your body because you don't want to make anybody else suffer. You're, you're born to rescue. You want to strengthen people. But, but one of the things that I noticed is the tasks that we had ahead of us, I needed to invite people on the journey uh, because we needed to paint. We redid the floors. We sanded all the cabinets down. I mean, we did a number on this house and it was a rental. Like, can I just tell you, some of us, maybe if we took care of our rentals, like we owned it, they would lower the deposits, right? Deposits are like, put 10,000 down to rent a house. I'm like, 10,000? It's like a down payment. It's crazy. Um, it's not fair out there right now. But the, uh, the, the fact that, that I invited some people on the journey, I, I started to watch what happened. I started to watch the relationships that were being built as people were standing as we're eating pizza and just eating junk food together, right? They're dialoguing. Worship is going in the background. We're listening to, to messages or podcasts and the camaraderie, the moments where we'd stop and, and, and take a drink. Relationships are forming. Plus, it was easier on my back. Come on, somebody. And, and so, so I just started to see, well, there, there's a gift here. And I started to watch each and every one utilize their giftings in different ways. And, and the Bible speaks about how every person in the God's church, in his body, is a part of a body, the body of Christ. That's what we say, right? So, and every body part plays an, an, a great role. They have a purpose and a place. And so, so I want you to get this picture, especially if you're in business or if you're a leader of any sort, which most of you are because you have influence over somebody. Can I just propose this to you? Nobody can probably do it better than you. Like you could probably do your job the best, the best in the whole company. You probably should to a certain degree. But if you could get four people that can work at 80% or let's say five people, five people that can work at 80%, that's a 400% return that you wouldn't have been able to do on your own. And we see Jesus doing this all the time, just empowering people, releasing people in their gifts and their talents. In verse eight of, um, of this passage, Solomon says, man, we toil and we labor for all this money. Yet if we have no one to share it with, like, what is the point of that? There's just something beautiful about us doing life together. Um, Paul says it this way in regards to each person playing a role. He says, in fact, some parts of the body that seem the weakest or least important are actually the most necessary. Like right now, today, you woke up, you didn't think about your pinky toe, but you're using it. The fact that you're standing up, I guarantee your pinky toe is gone tomorrow. You're going to look, it's going to, you're going to, it's going to be a little sideways. And you're going to be like, man, my, my pinky toe. Holding up the entire body. And so, so a lot of times we, 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 we fail to see this. And so Jackie and I, we made this commitment a long time ago. We, we learned this lesson a long time ago. We said, when we're going to do life with people. And we're going to surround ourselves and place ourselves in Christ-centered community. And we're going to do marriage as a team. We're going to do family as a team. Like Now my kids, we're starting to discover their spiritual gifts. We're like, oh, you're doing the dishes and you're doing the, right? We just, we work together, but we want to discover their giftings. We want to see how they're designed because they're, they're, they're there to play an intricate role of our household. We do family as a team. Every task is important. Everybody's a 10 in some area. We'd love to say that around here because it's the truth. And this is exactly what Paul says. And there's a much greater return when we're doing it together. There's something special about that. Can I tell you, that plays the same role on your emotional health, on your spiritual health, uh, even physically. 
If you have some easers and connectos around you with Christ at the center, you're going to grow. You're going to move. The return is going to be so much better. And can I tell you that God has also called you to be those to somebody else. Sometimes in our world today, we, when we think about Christ-centered community, we think, what can I get out of it? You know what? I don't really see any value in this. Well, what do you have to offer? Like, like God has placed gifts inside of you, a story that people need to know and hear. God has placed you some connectos, some a little bit more easers, and people need you. Second thing is this, if you're taking notes, you can jot this down, is it helps us to live unstuck. Some of us are stuck because we just don't have people around us. You know, I, I find myself, there are certain people that I get around. Every time I'm around them, I just feel like I level up. I, I feel like they challenge my faith. Like we'll get in certain environments and I just feel like, oh my goodness. We're thinking so small. Like we need to trust God far beyond. Like there's just certain people that you get around and you're like, I remember I was, sitting, uh, I was sitting talking to this one pastor, incredible pastor. I remember he looked at me, put me on the spot. Can I be vulnerable with you? So I'm sitting next to him at a table, which is a little uncomfortable. It's kind of like showing up to a small group the first time. Never met him before. And he looks at me and he says, so, so what are you believing for? And I was like, man, um, the city to be real. Like I just started. And, and he could tell like he caught me off guard. And, and what he was saying, oh, you haven't been thinking about it enough. So let's move on. Huh? Next conversation. And I'm looking like, so I go home, I'm like, what am I believing for? This, so, so you just get around certain people, and, and that may seem a little bit harsh, but it was kind of connecto. Yeah. And, and it, it challenged me. It helped me. But it helps us to get unstuck. Solomon said if somebody falls and they don't have anybody to help them up, it's, it's a problem. So, so who's there to help you spiritually? Who's there to help you physically? What if you're getting ready to fall morally? Does anybody know? Like, like if you're struggling in an area, whether it's, it's, it, it could be whatever type of sin would so easily entangle you, entangles you, I want you to ask yourself this question. It's, it's, it's okay to be in the struggle. Uh, Chris Hodges says it like this, but you will only be as sick as your secrets. So it's okay to be in the struggle, but does anybody know you're struggling? Because if not, you're probably stuck and you're trying to do it on your own. And can I just tell you, when we look at our small groups, and I know I'm talking a lot about small groups because we're launching small groups today, and, I, and I, I want you to get plugged into one. If you're not, small groups are not the goal, though. Yeah. They're a vehicle. Yeah. They're a vehicle to Christ-centered community so you don't have to live an isolated life and have people around you that can ease you and connecto you on the journey. But it doesn't have to be our small groups, but you need Christ-centered community, period. I, I remember hearing a story of a, of a small group who gathered around, there was a gentleman who was out on a drinking bench. His wife was calling, couldn't get a hold of him. Like till four in the morning, he finally comes home and he comes home and his entire small group's on the porch. Just waiting for him. How many know there's easers and connectos there? Like, man, we're gonna love you. We're gonna rescue you. We're gonna help you. We're gonna encourage you. But we're also gonna tell you the truth. We're also gonna be there to lift you up with the grace of God. Not in a, how could you do this to your wife? That's not connecto. Connecto is, man, we see that there's a pattern. And we know that God has something better for you. Yes. And we're here to walk alongside of you and, 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 and be a part of that rescue, be a part of that strengthening. But part of how we do that is, man, we got, we got to, there's, you got to make some changes and we'll, we'll, and listen, we can only go at your pace, but we're going to be here. We're going to be here to point you back to God's word. And so it's just, it's just important that we have people around us like that. Cause some of us feel like I don't need anybody. I've been doing it by myself for a long time. I don't need anybody, especially if you've grown spiritually. Now hear me out. If you've grown spiritually, been walking with Jesus for a long time, I would say you're probably more prone to isolation than somebody that's just starting out because you feel like there's something that you have to personify. And if you let people in and they might look at you a little bit less than, that is such a lie. It is such a farce. Don't buy into that. Uh, that Muhammad Ali, he was on an airplane one time. And he told a lady, she said, uh, you know, the stewardess came on. Hey, everybody, buckle your seatbelts. He said, she walked, she walked past him and he didn't have a seatbelt on. She said, sir, would you please buckle your seatbelt? He looked at her. He said, Superman don't need no seatbelt. Muhammad <laughs> right? Ali. And then, and then she snapped back real quick. Superman don't need a plane either. Buckle your seatbelt, right? <laughs> so sometimes we have blind spots that we don't see. Can I tell you, if you are living in isolation, you are living in a blind spot. You may not think you need anybody, 
but you are in prison somewhere. And it's not good. You were not meant and created to do life on your own. Your voice is not greater than God's voice. You may think it is, but when you think it is, you leave an opportunity for the enemy's voice to creep in. You keep yourself in isolation, and then you live in the struggle stuck. Stuck. Uh, You guys see that meme that's going around recently with the little sheep that falls in the crack? You guys see that? I'm going to show it next week just because it's like, I want you to experience my life as a pastor, right? It's like the little kid pulls, the little shepherd boy pulls out the sheep, pulls it out of this stuck trench. The sheep bounces up. I looks back. I don't want nothing to do with you. Jumps back right into the ditch. I'm like, that is pastoring at its finest, right? But when we don't think we need anybody, that's what we do. We make, God may pull us up out of the ditch and then we end up right back in another one because we just want to go. Third one is this. It keeps our hearts burning. Christ-centered community keeps our hearts burning. How can, two people can keep each other warm, but one person, you can't cuddle, right? Cuddling will keep you warm. I started, I asked the Lord, as I was, as I was preparing this, I said, Lord, how do I describe this, <laughs> right? And I'm not trying to encourage you guys to go and cuddle. <laughs> so this is the best way I can describe it, is that Christ-centered community keeps our hearts burning. It keeps our hearts warm. Or do you have somebody that's, that can look at you in your eyes and just know that something is wrong? Our staff will tell you, I just know. They try to, if they try to hide it, they can't because I'm that close. I know them. And so the conversation will go like this. What's wrong? <laughs> Nothing. What's wrong? How do you know? <laughs> because I know you. Do you have anybody that close to you? that knows you so they can tell. This is all right, let's pray. We need to, let's go have a lunch. Man, let's, let's, let's conversate. Is there anybody that close to you that comes alongside and says, hey, you're not thinking big enough. You've lost sight of the promises of God. Not in a condemning way, but in a let me believe with you again. Like we, we, we need that in our life. You know, the, the picture that I get for, for this particular one was Luke chapter 24. This is so special. Jesus' disciples, two of them are walking away. They're discouraged because they, they don't believe Jesus rose from the dead. They don't think he was the guy that he said he was, and they're, they're disheartened. And what does Jesus do? He doesn't leave them. He comes alongside them. You know, the Bible says to be merciful to those who doubt. He comes alongside of them, and, and what does he start to do? He doesn't say, hey, let's, let's, let's go get a drink and relax. No, he says, let me unpack the scriptures again and show how they point to me. They don't recognize him, but he's unpacking the scriptures to them. So finally, uh, at the end of this journey, he appears to them. They're like, you're alive. And then he disappears. God always does stuff like that, right? Hey, you're here. Where you go? No. But this is what they said. They said, were our hearts not burning as he opened the scriptures to us? Do you have a community around you that's opening up the scriptures to keep your heart ablaze? Because I'm telling you, by yourself, you can get cold really easy. You can get stagnant really easy. I don't need a seatbelt. And just totally lose sight of what you really need. You need Christ-centered community. I'm not saying it's the silver bullet, but I'm just saying we're designed for it. I'm I'm not saying that that Christ-centered community is going to solve everything, but I I am saying that you were designed to be in Christ-centered community, and it's a It makes a huge difference. It'll help keep our hearts burning. The last one is this, is that it keeps us protected. He says that we can defend each other better when we're together. Are you trying the kind of rhyme? Better together, right? We we can defend each other. Back in the day, in in this ancient culture, they understood hand-to-hand combat because they didn't have rifles. And so what they would do is a triple braided cord, or there'd be three guys back to back, one here, one here, and one here. So there would just be no room for the enemy. They would completely isolate the enemy from being able to, to attack. They're just, there's no way that somebody could come from my back or my side because we got each other. We're working. It's a dance, right? The father pointing to the son, the spirit pointing to the father, the son pointing back to the father, the father. It's just, it's just like we, we, we're, we're, we're there. We got each other. We're covering every side, and the enemy has no room. You know, uh, I told you a few months back that I got robbed, like really robbed, in San Francisco when I was like 14 years old. And I started thinking this came to me this week and I never saw this before. The first thing they did was, was they divided us. 
before they robbed us. So we, we, I, was with a, and I was with an older girl. Like, she wasn't my girlfriend, but we were with an older girl. Should have never been in the city, 14. I lied to my mom. I don't know. I was out there just. And I remember the guy that she was dating said, hey, let, let's go to the store real quick. But you guys stay here. And I just knew at that moment, like, ah. Oh. And my other buddy, he wasn't, he was kind of intoxicated, so he was doing something else. And they, I watched him kind of lure him astray. And then I was by myself. And the moment I was by myself, they beat me up and they robbed me. And, and so I'll never, I'll never forget the fact, looking around like, I'm by myself. And then they just started taking stuff. And I tried to hide at that time. The phones were like that big. And I think it was an illegal phone, like a, like a flip phone, like a burner phone, we used to call them. And I had it in my jacket. And I had one of those big goose jackets on with the, with the, with the fur on the hood. Like everybody wanted that jacket, right? At least where I came from. And, uh, and I just remember I was by myself. I looked up and I couldn't, I just, and they're just taken from me. Take me. And then they started fighting over my jacket and that's how we got away. And then we were running away. They're like, give us your shoe. <laughs> like, no, I'm out. Uh, and it was a grown man. A grown man punched me in the face. Hardest punch in the face I've ever, I mean, that was, it just, it knocked me down where I was. And I just thought, man, how many of us right now, the enemy's just divided. You don't even realize. He's just isolated you and he's just robbing the mess out of you all the time. Just taking spiritually, emotionally, even physically, just robbing you. And, and so, so I, I just want to invite you back. I watched another time. Robbing has been a part of my life. Well, I, I watched my mom get robbed at the ATM. I was, I was in like the sixth grade. It was so, so sad. A little kid, I grabbed my umbrella in the car like, I don't know what to do because I'm by myself. And my mom, she's so funny. Single parent mom. She, she tells the guy, she says, listen, I'm on a budget. You get $20 and that's it. And then she starts speaking in tongues at him. I'm like, that's how you handle a robbery, right? I'm going to try that next time. Only get 20, shunda la tie, right? But I was by myself. Where has the enemy isolated you and just keeps robbing you over and over and over because you haven't let anybody in? James says it this way, that if we confess our sins to one another, what does he do? He'll, he'll heal us. Not forgive us, that's between you and God, but there's healing that comes with saying, man, I'm struggling. Or I'm doing well, but I, I just need you. Or maybe, maybe it's kept you from being a voice to somebody else. So what am I saying? I'm saying that whenever God's voice becomes louder than our voice, it silences the enemy's voice. So you might be saying, why are people so isolated then, Pastor Matt? Like, why, why is it like this? Well, we just came out of COVID, so it's even worse. We, we were told and practiced isolation and what, you know, again, I'm not knocking, I understand why, but I'm saying it still created unhealthy rhythms in our life to keep people at a distance. And so, so some of us, we just don't know. We're like, I was naive. I didn't even know I needed Christ in the community. Okay, great. Let's go. Sign up for a small group. Some, some of you guys are like, I just never needed people. And you're, you need to make that adjustment. Some of us, it's temperament. You're like, man, Pastor Matt, I'm shy. Small groups is not my thing. Like, you want me to knock on a stranger's door? What? Can I just lovingly connecto you to say, I know it's scary, but you got to get over that. You got to jump that hurdle. And I promise it's not going to be what you think. Because I know some of us, I think the main thing that, that keeps us is, is fear. Hey, we're just like, oh man, I know what it's going to be like. Pastor Matt, they're going to put a chair in the middle, put me in that chair, have me confess all my sins and try to cast a demon out of me. No. If you have a demon, we'll take you outside. But no, that's not what it is. That, that's, that's not what it's like. Because can I just tell you, I'm afraid too as your pastor. It was like two small group semesters ago. I remember telling Jackie, I'm like, I, I can preach. I just don't know if I'm good at leading a small group. And she, she easered and then connectoed me. Oh, babe, you're so good. Now go do it. <laughs> right? And so, so I remember that feeling that even as your pastor, I know, I know it can be a little bit intimidating if you're leading a small group or, but can I just tell you, God has given you everything you need for this season, everything that you need. But you know what I'm more afraid of? Because as a pastor, as your pastor, it, it, it's, it's vulnerable too. Like I'm letting people into my house, into my life. People can hurt me with vulnerability. I get it. But you know what I'm afraid of more? I'm afraid of not being a good husband. I'm more afraid of not being a good dad. 
I'm more afraid of not being a good pastor. And I know that if I'm gonna be healthy in those areas, I need easers and connectos in my life. It's not gonna be everybody in your small group, but there may be one or two people that God brings into your life that you can share, that you can call, that you can, you know, be an easer to, be a connected to, and vice versa. We need both. And this is what you're gonna find. You're gonna find what C.S. Lewis said. Friendship is born at the moment when one person says to another, what, you too? I thought I was the only one. That's what you're gonna experience. Samson, he had some great feats by himself. He made some poor decisions by himself. He was deceived by Delilah and the Philistines. Why? Because he was by himself. He had no easers or connectos in his life. The final battle of his life, Spirit of God comes upon him. He pulls down two pillars. The Philistines crushes the Philistines. He dies. He dies by himself. And there's going to be times that you're going to have to stand alone with God. Don't get me wrong. But you were not meant to live that way. You were not meant to live that way. You and I belong in community. Don't let the enemy's voice or your voice be louder than God's voice. But let's let his voice be louder than the enemy's voice. Get ourselves out of isolation. Get ourselves out of it so we silence the enemy's voice and we can live the life that God has called us to. Let me pray for you. Father, as we, uh, as we wrap up, Lord, I pray, Lord, the first and most important relationship is with you. It's where it starts. And you easer us, you connect to us. You're the ultimate helper suitable. And so, Lord, for those that are here tuning in online or in person, Lord, I pray that you would speak to them right now. If you're just saying, man, I need to surrender my life to Jesus today. I need a relationship with God. I know I need it. I've been in isolation from him. And the Lord is inviting you today. He wants to forgive you. He wants to wash you, set you free place his spirit on the inside of you to encourage you, to rescue, to build you. And also to reshape and to transform your heart and your mind in such a way that you will never regret. Listen, if that's you, our prayer team is going to be up here. So why are you going to have me come up to our other prayer team? Because I want you to practice just stepping out, letting somebody know where you're at. Maybe you need to rededicate your life. Let our prayer team know. If you're online right now, we have a number that's on the screen. Call it right now so we can pray with you. Just let them know. I need to go all in today. Lord, I pray for the rest of us. God, move us from pride and isolation to community, Christ-centered community. And may this small group semester be the best one yet. Bless our leaders. Anoint them a double portion this season for your glory and name, in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, 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 amen. Come on, can we give the Lord a big hand? Thanks again for joining us here at Fountain Church. For more details on how to get connected, visit us at fountainchurch.cc. We're also on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. We'll see you next time.